issue. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I'm not sure where I'm going tonight, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the fear body, about fear. Because I think all of us, from the, um, from the moment we're born, are a little bit um, terrified. I actually have a little quote that I want to share with you that I thought was very pithy description of how we might why we might feel a little bit afraid this is from Stephen Batchelor to be thrown into existence is painful and shocking I was forced from my mother's uterus to emerge bloodied and screaming gasping for air in the alien world I had no choice in the matter. As I learned to organize the chaos of the senses into an intelligible world, negotiate the labyrinth of language and signs, get used to hearing and telling my own and others' stories, I discovered that I would be expelled from the world stage as unceremoniously as I was thrust upon it. How do you feel when you hear that? <laughs> well, quite innocently, we are, whether we are aware of it consciously or not, we are, um, we, we are uh, thrust into this uh, dilemma, this, this existential angst, or you could say even crisis of knowing that we are uh, we are just subject to these forces uh, that we were thrust into existence through no fault of our own and, uh, un- and will unceremoniously be thrust out of it. And to deal with this, uh, the grandness of the fear that goes along with being so out of control, our minds have... Um, very innocently defended against this by entering into worlds of what seem to be uh, worlds of safety. The safety of uh, I am. The safety of I exist independently apart from this world. That I am, I'm, I may be a wave, but I've somehow I'm the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. But that's not really the initial thought. The initial thought is I, I need to build something that will allow me to, 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 uh, to um, somehow cope with this, 
this process of life, this dukkha of being born and then being carried along this stream of getting sick, old, and dying, and then who knows where. So unfortunately, out of the, having to deal with this existential dilemma, the reaction to that has spawned this world called me and mine, this, the world of self. And, and it's, a, it's an inevitable developmental process. But what's happened, because the world of self, the world of me and mine, is really based on an idea, and it's protected by remaining in our lives rather um, superficial, uh, cut off, distracted, entertained. Any of you recognize that? Distracted, entertained, cut off. Uh, we've... We love, I, I think we, I can say we, we love, why do you think we love our tabloids and our, our gossip magazines? Because it's some way this whole little fast-paced world of, of meaningless garbage keeps us from facing, from settling into the existential angst that, most, that pretty much lurks underneath. And yet, when we, we, the moment we stop for a minute, it starts to it starts to dawn that there's that we're kind of left alone. We're we're everything's kind of quiet, and we're we're in this big sea all alone, and and that's kind of scary. So we take off again. Am I making any sense tonight? And in order to somehow keep from opening to the inevitable condition of our lives, our mind has to keep moving. We have to keep building, as I like to call it, the, keep building the house that ego built. I have to keep building some way of, of, um, of keeping myself from not having to feel how, how um, vulnerable, how helpless we are in the face of huge forces of the of the elements coming together and dissipating the earth air fire and water how they just coagulate they they come together in this kind of collision for a time and then they begin to break up again that's really hard to bear that i i can't i can't really find exactly anything stable in in what what life actually is and that's just too hard to bear, so our mind takes off. And it, it takes off in the building process of making us unique and special. Not that we are, aren't already unique and special. We still are, the, as I often say, a, a unique manifestation of life. Uh, like no, each, each of us individually is like no one else. A perfect expression of, of all the forces of our own conditions coming together, but not unique enough to keep us uh, to keep us from feeling insecure. And then we have to become even more special. And then we have to become somebody. Have to be accomplished. We have to be as. Um, 
as the Buddha put it, we have to enter the world of, um, of mana or conceit or pride, the, the world of the comparing mind. We have to build ourselves uh, into someone who's better than and guard against being either equal to or less than. And in that cycle, we're spinning our wheels. All of this creates enormous amount of pressure for us. And that pressure, the pressure of keeping this house of, of the house that ego built alive, spawns this compulsion to think, to think incessantly. To think, to be motoring. I know every, almost every month or so on Tuesdays I, I talk about the cocktail conversation uh, snippet that we have 65,000 thoughts every day. And that, that 90% of those supposedly are repeats from the day before. But 65,000 thoughts, and most of the thoughts have as their uh, central character the imagined, um, the imagined version of me. The, I actually have this. This the Buddha called this compulsion to think. He called, the Buddha called papancha, called compulsion, proliferation, complication and all of us can, can acknowledge yeah I think a lot I think a lot and I, my mind drives me crazy but I'm not sure that we until we practice we really appreciate how far from life our thinking mind takes us this is at least a few traditional translations of the word papancha for those of you who haven't heard it before Papancha, the unbidden going of the mind away from the present to imagined experiences or objects. So the objects don't really matter. It's just this compulsion of our mind to go somewhere, to stay in this little circle of what um, turns out to be this circle of superficiality, kind of on the surface, away from, so that we're building a little vortex of me and mine. To, be, to somehow protect ourselves. This is a little bit more flowery. So the first one was the unbidden going of the mind away from the present to imagined experiences or objects. Here's the more juicy one. The propensity of the worldling's imagination to erupt in an effusion of mental commentary that obscures the bare data of cognition. It's not... It's really juicy. So the bare data of cognition, those words don't sound very juicy, do they? But the bare data of cognition, the bare experience of life, opening to that, the fear and the, the helplessness that comes with really entering into that, the silent connection of everything in life, that the sense of real immediacy that at first is quite terrifying and especially was terrifying when we were born. But as an adult, if we can begin to open 
to the, the bare data of cognition, just the bareness of what's happening in our sights, our sounds, our smells, our tastes, just to feel that flavor that uh, that duck poem that I've been reading recently, just to feel that experience of ourselves where life touches us, so immediate, so now, so beyond our ideas, we can begin to, if we can touch into that fear, we can begin to, to find our composure. And once we begin to stop, what tends to happen is we begin to make a shift from being completely carried along by the world of compulsive thinking, the compulsive imaginary version of ourselves that plays in our mind, the constant need to make ourselves special and great and get somewhere and get rid of something and be more and be or be less or have more or have less or simplify or intensify or whatever it is that we're doing. Instead of being carried along by that, we begin to start to notice that. Wow! That is incredible! How absolutely crazy I am! And that's when it gets truly terrifying. It is truly terrifying. The thought, of course this is another thought, the thought of living lifetimes or a lifetime in that internal drama that is truly maddening in some ways much more maddening much more scary than that the fear of of our uh, as Stephen Batchelor calls our contingency how much how dependent we are on these conditions outside of our control that kind of fear we can learn to find our composure and we can find our seat we can become we can we can have uh, we can live in harmony with that but to live in harmony with with that craziness that's going on in our minds are we still together in this conversation <laughs> now that's terrifying but this is also the moment where we have the opportunity to step, you could say, out of the world. And when I say the world in this case, I mean the world of my mind. That's the whole world is in our mind. And we're talking constantly about the world. But the world is just an idea, really. And the world is different than our direct experience. But we can, if I can begin to make that shift from being carried along by that, uh, that internal stream, that mind stream, that I call it the, the lunatic stream, to begin to notice it, I'm really on the verge of what the Buddha called uh, lokuta, lokutara sukha, unstuck from the world beyond the power and influence of the world of my thoughts and my thinking. I start to get some space. And instead of, as those of you who know the story of, of when the Buddha uh, was confronted with the, all the, 
the forces in his mind of Mara. He conquered the forces of, of his mind. But he didn't conquer them by getting rid of them, by deleting them, by stamping them out. But he conquered them by recognizing that these voices in our mind, these ideas, this story of me, is, is an apparition. It's a dream. It's a bubble. It has no power. It has no power if it's recognized. So our thoughts, our feelings have no power once they are brought into that light of attention. But that, to me, that's really scary is when I'm really engrossed in, in a personality view that uh, something's wrong, there's something wrong with me, what do I need to do, I need to, I need to, I need to um, have more um, something, need to, be, need to be different than the way I am. How many of you thought today that you needed to be different than the way you were? Just so I won't know if I'm, we're talking about our humanity. Now, how many of you believed that thought when it came? <laughs> you didn't believe it. You didn't have it. Yay! <laughs> well, the good news of our practice of mindful attention is that it, um, it does make it possible for us to not only be in harmony with our uh, interwoven, interdependent relationship with life and circumstances, but also to begin to live in harmony with these absolutely crazy minds of ours that have innocently, but uh, innocently taken off, but have gotten so far f- disconnected from from the suchness, from the flow of life that um, that w- that we need to come home just need to come home to ourselves. It is much better to deal with the fear, the existential fear of existence, than the flight, the existential flight of having to uh, become somebody. It's just, we're better off spending a little time paying attention, keeping quiet, showering ourselves and each other with mercy and kindness every single person you see in your life acting prideful, an idiot, including yourself, fall, just shower them with love. Everybody, anybody, anybody in your life full of pride and, uh, and, uh, and barriers to uh, getting into their, into, their, um, um, into their energy fields. I'm sorry to use this kind of vague language. What's, did you? What, what were you raising? Oh, yeah. So I asked if anybody's filled with pride. He said, "Yeah, every one of us is filled with pride in some way. In some way, uh, have boundaried ourselves out of fear of getting hurt." Feel that terrible fear of being hurt by the uncontrollable forces that, you know, we're always worried about getting, or about falling or about, uh, about uh, getting in an accident or somebody saying something to it. It's just, it's everywhere. 
And so we've defended against that by becoming, um, becoming armored uh, in this world of me and mine. And so the next time you see your own pride, rub your heart. The next time you see somebody else's, wish them well. Um, so we need lots of love and we need a lot of attention to, to um, the way that our mind works. Otherwise, we're off in, in Papancha land. We end up erupting in an effusion of mental commentary that obscures the bare data of cognition. So practice wants us to once again come back, come to our senses, <laughs> not to overuse that expression, come to our sense doors. In the, just see what you see, hear what you hear, smell what you smell, taste what you taste, feel what you feel. Just for a few moments, think what you think and know it. And, and invisibly, this begins to cut that, cut that little armor away and allow us to feel each other again. It's okay. It is the truth that we are just kind of carried along by this stream, so we might as well be in harmony with it. That's uh, that's what the Buddha said when when he said, "Yeah, life's life's tough. We're carried along by this stream. There's you know birth, sickness, old age, death, and what was his prescription? It was to welcome it. Of course, he didn't stop there. He says, if you welcome it, you'll you, and you don't try it to make it constantly different than the way it is, you, there's freedom. There's a lot of freedom in just letting go. So how do we come to a place of freedom? We pay attention. We see how everything comes and goes. We learn to live in harmony with it. At the same time, we keep letting life touch us. And what does that do? That keeps softening the heart. And the more my heart is soft, the more I just want to be right where I am. I don't want to be anywhere else. How many of you want to be somewhere else right now? <laughs> now notice, even that, feel that for a moment. Notice wanting to be somewhere else right now. Notice what that's like. And what happens when you just let that be felt? Anyway, that's all I have to say tonight. Any questions, comments about getting to know your mind? Please, Carlos. Irritableness? Yearnfulness, yes. 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 I 
Yes. I'd like to read another passage since I, I found this page from Stephen uh, Batchelor's book. I'd like to read another passage that I think speaks to your question. The relative... For the seemingly eternal self, that's the one that we create in our mind, for the seemingly eternal self is afflicted with a gnawing doubt that something essential to it is lacking. I appear to be self-sufficient, but crave to be loved and recognized by others. I project self-assurance but feel as though I'm wearing a mask. I present a cheerful exterior, but inwardly suffer a quiet desperation. I affirm my singularity, but suspect that I am a jumbled collection of roles. Anyway. (laughs) Carlos, did that speak at all to your... I'm curious if that spoke to you. Yeah. I would say that that in order to uh, to face our existential condition, it doesn't mean that you don't call a friend and feel better for having called them. But this is inviting us to really look at that that vulnerability, look at so that we're not we're not just living in that in the appearance of things. We're not just living in that mask or in that in that illusion of self-assurance. That we acknowledge that we're really vulnerable. Uh, and so that's Alex. You had your hand up. I think you have to... I, I'm not hearing. I'm sorry. Forgiving that mind that just... that, that builds... I think that we should love that mind because its, it's whole intention is to make us safe from the sea of... From the sea, from the wild sea of existence, we should love it. It's it's our mind that's constantly making ego trips has only wanted us to be happy, but it's chosen uh, it's chosen a, a pathway that just makes us more insecure and more unhappy. So we want to we want to hold that, regard that with great mercy and tenderness and forgiveness. So use the traditional forgiveness practice. To whatever degree you call that yourself, may I, I, forever any way that I have caused myself harm, knowingly or unknowingly, through what I've done, said, or thought, or not done, said, or thought, I I forgive myself. You know, do that. And if it really depends on what you're pointing to, whatever it is, who you take yourself to be, forgive it all the time. Like I said, that is one of the doorways to harmony, is being merciful, being kind, being caring. Jerry, nice to see you.
Nice. It's really the, what the, the Buddha said, the, the Sangha the community is, the, is one of the three jewels. In fact, when you know the story of Ananda, when he says, isn't it true, Lord Buddha, that having, having, keeping good company or Sangha is the half of the holy life? He says, no, it's the whole of the holy life. So connection is, is everything, really. Every, I think every person who, who learns, learns because, through some connection with another person. For the, much, of our, much of the transmission of our understanding comes through another. And then human relationship is built into our species. So it's, I, don't, I don't think there's any, any issue with that. I think with everything, it's what is the engine? What's the motivation? Yeah, and if it's... Ideally, if it's coming from a place of insufficiency, I'm not okay, then it's, it's likely to spawn a kind of compulsion. If it's just that recognition that you, it sounds like you had with that person, it's, it's impossible to ignore that, no matter what teaching you've heard. That's just, oh yeah, I see you. So I, I don't know if that speaks to your question, but... Sounds wonderful. Hope it works out. Please, Noemi. You find a connection when you're not in the space of ego. You're favorite kind of connection. I think all of us that's true. When we're not thinking about ourselves we're the happiest we are ever. them but we don't want to make them we don't want to make them wrong we just we want to learn how to make a connection with that aspect of our mind that's trying so hard to be to be special and and invited in the most gentle way like you would a little kid just calm down a little bit just just do your thing but but Uh, you want okay? Yeah. Oh, I, are you going to give your your um? Yes, share it with everyone. I love it. Mm-hmm. 
Beautiful. I'm going to read it. I have it with me tonight, so just so every in case people couldn't hear. Yes, special. Soul pulsating energy consciously igniting abundant love. Beautiful. Thanks for reminding me. Beautiful. So sweet. Should I read it once more? Soul pulsating energy consciously igniting abundant love. Who had somebody had their hand up over here? Oh Judith. For those who didn't hear, she said in the last six months she has shed a lot of who she took herself to be, where her, what she had tethered her identities to. Her children left, her roles, her job that uh, uh, she's letting go of, and then she went to Spirit Rock in a safe place and was able to really touch into the this uh, this heart of connection that um, I was pointing to. But she's now come back, and she's finding that it's not, uh, she doesn't feel her, with her heart so open, it doesn't feel so safe uh, in this very uh, intense, uh, impinging uh, city culture, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and whether I would make some kind of comment about that. That's dukkha. But, you know, not to be glib about it. Um, I think in our daily life there is a there's a middle with everything there's a middle way there's a way of both being remaining really open but also protecting ourselves as we need to and I think it's important to be to be fortified to have a strong mind to have a strong healthy body to to keep good company to have a lot of like-minded company to um, to know that it's that it's ultimately better to be tender than it is to be as uh, Ajahn Sumedho says to hide away in fear and dullness and and density but it it hurts a little more, and maybe a lot more to be open. Uh, but I think it's worth it. But as a middle way, you need also to be, you need to protect yourself. And you probably know exactly what you need to do to, to, create, um, to create more safety in your life. But really the practice, on top of that, the practice really is about... Uh, coming to our own rescue and opening to our vulnerability in a, in a very gradual way. It's not, um, 
It's not just to kind of lay it all open and be a, a doormat for the for the intensity of life, but to go in, go out, you know, make sure that you, I don't know, you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this is definitely a path I've chosen, or it's been chosen for me, and um, I couldn't do anything else. But it's, right. It's a hard, it's a hard road, it's, it's a scary road. Yeah. The only thing I, last thing I would say, she says it's a hard and a scary road. I know when, when I start to feel afraid, and I start to, I'll, I'll use your words, I start to think it's a, a long and scary road, that scares me. And that's really the idea about it. And that's when, at least what I try to do, not always successful, is I try to come back and feel what I'm feeling right now. And I realize what I'm feeling right now is not a long and scary road. I'm feeling maybe quivering in my heart. I'm, I'm back again with my, my basic sense experience. I'm outside, out of my situation, which is where my mind goes. I'm out of my situation and more back in reality. And reality is a little, I find, reality more safe than my situation. So... Just keep relying, resourcing right here. And uh, notice how many times a day you say to yourself, it's a long and scary road. Or I forgot the words you used. but Because that's almost like a hypnotic induction. We can scare ourselves by the way that we think. Any of you ever do that? Yeah. Please. Julia Butterfly Hill talks about that a lot in her I think she has a CD also, but I don't know if it's on there, but she talks about like living with your heart open. And, living with and, Julia Butterfly Hill, living with your heart open. And being open to life, you also feel uh, sorrow and stuff more, but you have that opportunity of actually living. Yeah, living open to life, you feel a lot more sorrow, but at least you have the opportunity of living and not uh, not being half alive. In defended. Please, Tanya. This is you're gonna. You have the last word. Thank you. It's a perfect way to uh, to end. I th- I would like to just 
add one little poem for Judith and others who may feel fearful and worried and uh, vulnerable. The words of Wendell Berry in his poem called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life or what my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So as we, at least for our few moments, lying where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water where the great heron feeds. As we sit together quietly, um, we perhaps can feel, or at least we can remember, that we are contingent, interdependent, we're touching and being touched by each other in every moment at all times. And so considering our connection, let's dedicate the, the fruits, the benefits, the merit, the goodness, the blessings that have arisen from our life and our practice, that we share those blessings and we radiate a deep wish to all those that we are touched and that we are touching. And we send the blessings with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives, a reliable happiness and peace. That all beings can have a loosening and freedom from suffering and the causes of suffering. Mental suffering and as much as possible physical suffering. A deep wish that all beings can rejoice, feel the joy of being connected to the sacred happiness that is without sorrow, here and now. And a deep wish that all beings can grow into touch the mountain-like, unshakable balance of mind that's able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping and aversion, deep equanimity. And may our life practice be every day dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all beings live in harmony with things as they are. So thank you for indulging my 
stray thoughts about uh, fear and the fear body and um, just a uh, reminder that the room costs us a hundred uh, or it's moving in the direction of 150 per week so any help with the room rental is greatly appreciated uh, if you um, would be willing to put a few extra dollars in the basket for to cover the room rental if we all did that it would uh, it would probably cover it and then any teaching that's offered is offered in the spirit of generosity uh, freely uh, And the invitation is for you to make an offering freely, generously, in support uh, of me or whoever takes this seat. And thank you in advance. And uh, thanks for for the room rental, Donna, and the teacher, Donna. And a reminder that if you are so inclined to uh, write a check... Uh, to help with the room rental, you could write it to the church, the St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, and put Mission Dharma at the bottom, and your uh, offering will be tax deductible. And also, you uh, you can also um, offer Donna uh, through um, PayPal on our Mission Dharma website, and this will all help to support. Uh, are being here together. So thank you. Thanks for your practice.